We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna... First and ten, Taylor fakes the pitch, throwing on the run. Greg Roman, their coordinator, will put Taylor from the gun on third and six of the sideline delivery. Watkins dial up Sammy. On first and ten, Taylor from the gun, play action, surveys the defense, takes a shot. Far side, he's got Watkins, bubbles in and makes the catch. Incredible recovery by Watkins. Taylor going to take a shot, throwing end zone, he's got Watkins, touchdown! Hey everybody, that was Spiro Ditas from CBS Sports and Rex Ryan there for a second from BuffaloBills.com. What a game from Sammy Watkins. Who saw that coming? Complete domination of the Miami secondary. Let's talk about the haters. The haters from his Instagram post <laughs> that he made. Where are all the haters now that we have a quarterback in our lineup who can throw him the goddamn ball and he can catch it? Welcome to the Rockpile Report, everybody. This is Drew Gear. We've got Chris Kruger producing. we got a lot to talk about this week, so let's just get into it. Our team finally put up the type of win that I've expected from them since the onset of the season. I mean, the first Miami game, that you just watched it and knew it was an aberration because we came out so hard on them that they just folded up their tents and went home. This was a game that Miami was in right up until the end when we finally kicked it into a higher gear than them. I mean, the Carlos Williams touchdown run was a dagger, but for the most part, we they were in the game. It was a tough game, but we were never in a position where we were out of control of it. Now, for me, right now, with the way we won that game, it's something we couldn't do after Indianapolis, something that we couldn't do after the first Dolphins win. This is one of those wins that you have to build on for the rest of the season. Well, I mean, think about it. We outscored Miami in every quarter of the football game. You know, nine in the first, ten in the second, seven and seven in each of the following quarters. We look balanced for the first time in I don't even know how many games. I mean, all of our playmakers are finally healthy, and I'm sure that that had something to do with it. You know, when you have two 100-yard rushes with touchdowns, and then a passing game that feeds off of that, you're you're in a 
you're in a great spot to win most football games. First time in NFL history, a team had two 100-yard rushers and somebody with 150 yards receiving. Never been done before in the NFL. Speaking of 100 yards receiving, as you stated earlier, all of Sammy Watkins haters, I'm standing there in the stands watching the game, and there's a woman behind me at the beginning of the game who's screaming about what a bum Sammy Watkins is, and she's booing him and talking trash about he's such a jerk. Fourth quarter comes, and I got to look at her. when he after It was after he caught that long touchdown pass. And I just had to turn around and look at her and be like, what What now? Are you, The guy, Sammy Watkins might have said some things that a young kid might say if you backed him into a corner or offended him. I mean, hell, when I was in my early 20s, if you had upset me about something, I'm sure I would have said, if social media had been around then, I would have said far more terrible things than that. But Sammy Watkins, let us play do the talking. I mean, he abused Brent Grimes, and his stats showed it. He had eight catches, 168, was it? I believe so. Once, yeah, but the thing that I'm like, eight catches on eight targets. Oh, he was unstoppable. <clears throat> then you look at our defense. They were solid up front. We gave up a, two touch, a pair of touchdowns to Lamar Miller, but we didn't let them gain consistent yardage. You know, We didn't let them get any momentum off those. When they got in close, yes, they found ways to score. But we didn't let them consistently establish the running game throughout the course of the game. And I thought that was huge as far as keeping us in the game. And then Jerry Hughes, timely defensive plays. It's what we saw last season. When we needed a big play, our defense was quick with it. And Jerry Hughes came through in the clutch with a phenomenal play. I mean, he quote, you know, after the game, in his interviews and things, he was all about just talking about preparation and about how it was a team effort. Here's a clip of him talking a little bit on the subject. I mean, we know we needed to win this week, uh, especially it's a division game, so we got to finish strong throughout the division. And it was just a great week of preparation. I mean, Rex, DT, those guys did a fabulous job of just getting us ready. And then our back seven did tremendous of just making him hold the ball, go through his second and third read. So anytime a QB does that as a D lineman, you love it. You just got to go out there, pin your ears back, and just make plays. That was from buffalobills.com. And hopefully as this team gets healthier, we get put into more positions to make plays like that. And then we took advantage of a young head coach, and he, oh, he made some mistakes. Not going for the field goal at the end of that first half is a ballsy call. It is. It's a gutsy call. But there's a reason a lot of winning head coaches won't make that call. It's because you take the points if they're there to be had. If you were going to go for it on fourth and one from the goal, or was it, was it fourth and one? Yeah, it was fourth, fourth and one, and they ran like a, a pick they ran slot a pick, slant. A pick slant. I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. If you need to gain one yard, you if you're going to go for it, you have to be able to trust your running game. You know what the Patriots do in those situations? They trust Tom Brady to get behind that center and get them three feet, and it works 90% of the time. I can't even tell you how many times <clears throat> I watch a Patriots game, and it's fourth and one, and it's Brady that makes those runs. Oh, the statistics have been, I mean, it's been out there. It's been widely publicized how successful they are with that. But that's because they trust their center to get the push they need to get three feet. If you can't get that with either your quarterback or your running backs, you kick the field goal in that position. You don't trust your receivers to make a catch. And that burned them on a play that could have, could have changed the momentum of the game. I, well, yeah, I was, I was fine with the 
with the Dolphins going for it. Um, you know, I probably if the Bills were in that situation, would you not want them to go for it? That they would have. That you'd go for it, but you would trust that your running backs could get that. You Rex probably would put in Carlos Williams if we oh, were yeah. in that situation. I don't fault him for that, but <coughs> that that play I think turned the game into our favor for the second half. Another rookie, uh, another rookie move was he consistently kept going. We've already talked about Sammy Watkins' stat line. He kept putting single high safety, single high safety coverage to try to pack the box because our running game was making hay. And then Sammy Watkins would torch them for another catch. You know, 15, 20 yards. They kept doing it. I was down. I was actually down this week. I wasn't sitting in the rock pile. I had an opportunity to swap tickets with somebody. A couple of my friends wanted to sit next to each other. One of them happened to be purchasing a friend, a ticket from one of my guys who just celebrated the birth of their first child. I'm going to give a little shout out. Congratulations to Daniel and Corey Moross on the birth of their son, Declan. Declan Thomas Moross. Can't wait to go see him in about a week here. But so he wasn't in attendance. And a couple of my friends wanted to see the game together. So they purchased my, uh, his seat, took mine, and I swapped with a guy who sits tunnel side, two rows up from the field. I'll tell you, being down there is a completely different experience because you get, you get more of a feel. Everyone says being up high is good, and I, I can say the rock pile is the place I want to watch almost every game. Yeah, you have great seats in the end zone because you sitting in the end zone, you get a better view of how a play develops, and you get to see the whole – all the schemes involved. But being down on that side of the field, when you see the running plays develop and how guys throw blocks, that Carlos Williams touchdown was right in front of me, right in front of us. I could have reached out and swatted at him, but that would probably get me in trouble. But all I kept seeing was every time that their defense would line up, when Miami's defense was facing our seats, there was only one safety up high all the time and I just kept saying to myself they're going to throw it they're going to try to go over the top on him and they did every single time as a coach if you see you're getting burned by that you have to commit more safety help and just hope that your defense can tackle better yeah we were we were having a wonderful day running the ball and so they were putting everybody down in the box which allowed Sammy for one-on-one coverage and then late in the game the Dan Campbell's decision to you know you get the football you're saying, okay, I'm trying to really climb back in this football game. His decision to settle for a field goal and just hope that they got the onside kick. I'm sorry, if you're tr- if you're on the road trying to get back in a game like that, you go for the touchdown. You went for it earlier from on fourth down to end a half. Why not go for it now? And almost on cue, there are the police sirens. <laughs> I swear, I don't live in the ghetto. I don't know what the hell goes on over here. Drew Drew lives in a nice neighborhood in Depew, and yet every uh, week, every week we record police sirens. Police sirens. It sucks. God. All right, we're going to touch on some notable stats. So, first off, Sammy Watkins. Like we said before, we we talked about his stats: eight for eight, one sixty-eight, and a touchdown. Brent Grimes has continued to struggle, and Watkins just abused him. On Sunday, that's what he's capable of doing when he's healthy. I think he. I firmly believe that he's getting healthier. I think he's still in a position where he may have to play with tweaks and aches and pains, but that's what good players do. They play through it. They find a way to work their way through it. You're not going to find a player in the NFL right now who's willing to tell you that he doesn't have a couple joints that you know <laughs> make him a little bit slow when he gets up in the morning. That's the nature of the game. In the third quarter, 
I mentioned to my friend that Miami was killing us in the screen game. And after, after the game, I, I was sitting there during the game talking to my buddy, who Rick, who I was sitting with. And I just said, man, they're, they're, all their yardage is coming off the edges. After the game, I went home and looked at the stats, and it backed it right up. Tannehill had 27 completions. 22 of those came to either the shallow or intermediate right and left side of the field. They failed to challenge their linebackers and safeties at all, and instead tried to beat us on the outside with speed. I understand you've got guys like Lamar Miller, Rashard Matthews, uh, Jarvis Landry. You've got some quick running backs. You know, you've got a fast tight end. You've got some guys who you think if you can get them out in space can make a big play for you. But they almost they devoted almost all of their passing game to just throwing short passes and screens to the outside. And clearly, our cornerbacks and safeties were up to the challenge because it had, they held them in check for a lot of the game. I believe that Lamar Miller's stat line, receiving wise, was like seven or, or either had seven or nine catches for ninety-seven yards. Mm-hmm. They kept throwing the screen to him. That's and they all kept, it was: dump offs and screen. They passes. kept burning us. Well, but we were content to allow them that because you can't get away. Like you can get it. The thing with the screen game is that it works when you're working your way down the field. It doesn't work when you get to the 30-yard line. It also does not work when the quarterback is E.J. Manuel. No. God, no, it doesn't. (laughs) And also, I'm really glad that we got our tackles back for a game. Just taking a look at the uh, post-game stats, we saw almost all of our success when rushing it to the outside. Okay, runs to the far left, far right on pitches or extra blockers like tight ends off the edge or just off tackle. Think about this. 266 yards rushing, 191 of those yards came on the outside of our offense and all three of our touchdowns. We didn't run up the middle well, but it's because we didn't try to run up the middle very often. We were content to try to make those you know, those inexperienced DNs and linebackers from Miami try to make plays in our, our running backs, and it worked to our favor. And that explains the domination of our game. It's, I mean, I, I, like I said, I think the dagger was just that run by Carlos Williams, the 33-yarder to ice the game. He's, he is such an amazing, amazing running back. And to think that we got him in the fifth round. Yeah, to think of all the running backs that got drafted this year, and we took him in the fifth. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's been terrible this year. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with his offensive line. I mean, they, they have no continuity there. Ours isn't the best either, and we still have gotten but we have, Carlos but five But we have touchdowns. better run schemes. They're still trying to – the problem is you can't develop a proper scheme when you – I think Phillip Rivers has played with nine different starting offensive linemen. They've only played two games all year with the same combination of linemen. It's tough to install a game plan like that. Got a couple notes from the tailgate and the uh, in-game shenanigans. All right, first off, weather was awesome for a tailgate. Didn't have to put up the tent. The sun kept everybody warm until late in the fourth. It was a beautiful day for football. My girlfriend fell in the creek when you come from California Road over to the stadium and sat on the shade side of the stadium for the entire afternoon. You are one pathetic loser. <laughs> she was freezing. I felt bad. There was nothing I could do. <laughs> she was off with her friends. I was off with mine. It's just a bad spot to be in. We've got more drunken videos of Bills fans on the Deadspin this week. 
but I feel like they're tapering off. They're getting much tamer. Now it's just morons jumping through tables, not people playing Tony. When did, when did Buffalo get get so involved with the WWE? I don't know. People, But the thing is, we've been doing it for forever, but now all of a sudden Deadspin has a boner for us. So they just want to see it. They're, like, they're encouraging the rest of the world to just illustrate our drunken behavior. I'm just glad that no one's playing you know, Scarface. No one's trying to be Tony Montana over there in the rock pile again this week. Those videos are are they make they make my Monday when I like get up and go to Deadspin before I have to go to work. I'll look on Deadspin. Oh, what did the Bills fans do? Who jumped through a table? Who moonsaulted off a pickup? <laughs> head for the dizzy bat head first into the bus is still one of my favorites. And then just on a note, I came so the friends that took my tickets, they're a bunch of decent guys. One of them was a Dolphins fan. Kid's never been to a Bills game before. He wears his Dolphins jersey. He shows up. You know, he has a couple beers in the parking lot with us, but he wasn't belligerent by any stretch of the imagination. They, he gets in the stadium, bumps into a bunch of guys. They throw their beers at him. And he get you know, obviously, you know, if someone throws a beer at you, there's going to be some words said. Well, then the sheriffs come. Someone makes a complaint, and the sheriffs come and escort him out of the stadium. First ever Bills game, and he doesn't even get to see the first quarter because he gets kicked out of the game because of a fight someone else started. Guys, I get it. You know, I, we always want to raz away fans. I'm guilty of that. But you can't take it too far. You don't want to ruin the game for somebody else. I mean, it's, you have to have a little more decorum than that. That's why you do it outside of the stadium. Didn't you punch a headlight once? Didn't you tell me? I punched the taillight out of my car once. Yes, that's a thing that happened. But I didn't do it in the stadium. I didn't punch out a Cowboys fan that night. I just punched out my taillight. There's a difference. So, guys, if you're out there listening, just just take it easy on the away guys, all right? They, not all of them are bad people. They just have poor taste in football. And that brings us to our weekly hero and zero. This week's hero of the game, I mean, there's you had three guys to pick from, but you got to go with Sammy Watkins. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. Playing hurt, coming out at home in front of the fans and putting up 8 for 8, 168, and one touchdown? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? The kid straight up dominated. And that's it. That's all there is to say about it. He put that long touchdown up on the board. He was the thing that drove us and scared their defensive. But, you know, they weren't scared of him, and then they'd react to his long catch, and it would just open up another running lane. Our offense ran through Sammy this weekend, and I'm glad that he was there for it. Our zero of the week, however, it was hard to pick one. I mean, you think about it, we, by all accounts, had a pretty solid day. So I feel kind of bad having to call out anybody, but if I had to... What do you think, Chris? I've been sitting here for the last couple of minutes trying to think of who you would have as a zero of the game, and I cannot think of anybody. I know. I can't think of a zero this week. I mean, it was a great win. Emotions were high, so maybe that's just clouding my judgment. But this week, I just can't find a zero. I just can't do it. I mean, it seems like everybody did their job, and we executed a win. So you, so. Take that, Bills. You get a respite from zero of the week. But don't worry, because I'm going to be back. I'm sure one of you will be back in the doghouse next week.
Yeah, we got the Jets coming up and the Patriots after, so my bet's on the coaching staff. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to our AFC East Roundup. Now, we've already discussed Miami and how the Finns lost this week, which puts them squarely in the basement of the AFC East. I mean, the, the team's got fight, but they just don't have any talent at cornerback or safety. And that keeps them from being contenders. I mean, their best wins came against the worst defenses in football. They put up a ton of points early, ran out the clock on them from there, and their defense was never really in a position where it had to guess as far as what was going to be thrown at it. They clearly have problems stopping the run, and that's going to be their downfall this season. They're at 3-5, and five, and all five of their losses have come in the AFC. So it's going to be possible, almost impossible for them to make the playoffs considering their remaining schedule and the fact that they're going to have to hope for things to break their way and tiebreakers. I believe the Dolphins' losses, I think they were like 0-3 or 0-4 in the division. Mm-hmm. Well, they, yeah, they haven't. They've lost to us. They've lost to New England. They've lost to the Jets, and they lost to us again. That's it's zero and four in the division. Mm-hmm. I pretty much uh, they'll be golfing. Yeah, it's it's not a stretch to imagine that. New England. I mean, the Patsies are still flipping the NFL the bird. They're they're just destroying everything in their path. I'd like to just say, damn it, Roger Goodell. For pissing off Tom Brady. You didn't have to stir up the hornet's nest because now they're just going to come out and put everyone over a barrel because they're angry at you. I can't see them losing. Like I don't know who's going to do it. Week to week, you go into looking at different matchups around the league other than Buffalo. They're clinical is the you, thing, too. It's never like, oh, they were down, but they made an amazing comeback. They come out, just like this game this week against Washington, they come out and they control from start to finish in their games. There's no, there's almost never a time when you doubt that they're going to win a football game. It's really something to see. I mean, even losing Deion Lewis, that's probably not going to be the thing that slows them down. They've got James White and Brandon Bolden and a whole slew of other running backs on their roster that I'm sure they could find to take that spot. I never heard of half of these guys. And this patchwork offensive line, well, patchwork in quotes, Offensive line of rookies and, you know, scrap heap finds, they're playing like a well-oiled machine. They've they've replaced guys like Nate Solder and Vollmer and some other guys in their line who have gone down with injuries with rookies and practice squad guys, you know, backups, and they haven't missed a beat. And, I mean, I think that right there, that offensive line is going to be the strength of the team down the stretch. And then we've got the New York Jets. They played a really close game against the Jaguars this week. I mean, take us into account. We spotted the Jaguars 20 points and still almost came back and won that football game. They, they came out against the Jets and threw the ball on them at will. Almost came away with a win because of it. I mean, did you see any of that game? I did not. I don't have the uh, NFL package. I just got what we have locally which was garbage god you make me sad you know that i do however pay for nhl game center if that matters in any of this <laughs> now this is a football podcast we can't talk Jesus about Christ. how awesome the sabers are or how awesome jack eichel is god well the new york jets are sitting at five and three 
in fifth place in the AFC, and they play our own Buffalo Bills tomorrow night, which brings me to our New York Jets Thursday night football game preview. Buckle up your seatbelts. It's going to get nuts. You know, because there's nothing to talk about, you can only print what I say. I think um, I'd like to focus on Clemson. Clemson? (laughs) Clemson? Oh, come on, Rex. You're killing me. Rex Ryan decided to, you know, he's up to his usual shenanigans, decided to start this week off with a doozy of a press conference. Got a lot of media hype. I actually, for one, find it hysterical. I, I think he was fantastic, touching on a whole slew of topics that had literally nothing to do with the upcoming football game. I mean, here's 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 just some of my favorite sound bites from his interview from BuffaloBills.com. You know, we were in walkthrough mode uh, yesterday. Um, I will say this. We did a great job against Brandon Marshall in the walkthrough uh, period. Um, I don't know if that will be different, you know, when we actually kick it off for real. But we'll see. We actually had somebody out there covering him. Rex Ryan took the podium in a Clemson helmet, came out, decided that he was going to touch on some of the really burning topics about this game, like how much he liked Fitzpatrick's beard. He called he quote unquote said the thing that's disappoint he said his beard is what's disappointing to him because he's quote unquote not a real handsome kid to which hilariously enough Ryan Fitzpatrick responded via Twitter with I have five kids so something's working <laughs> this is what Rex Ryan does guys and I I know some people think he's being a clown and some people think he's a sideshow act <clears throat> What he is is he's a coach who recognizes the fact that he made a mistake earlier this season by hyping up everything that was said and everything that was done all week about that New York about the New England Patriots game. Going into that matchup, it was players talking to the media, talking how they were gonna they were gonna go out there and do this and do that, and he was bumping his gums about how great they were gonna be and how they were looking forward to going out there and dominating. And all it did was give. New England bulletin board material to come into that game with. So this week he's taking a different approach. I mean, he's he is drawing all the attention towards himself so his players can sit back and focus on the upcoming football game without any media distractions, without anybody asking him any uncomfortable questions. I, for one, celebrate a guy who's willing to go out there and be a person, not just a Bill Belichick automaton with nothing interesting to say ever. The game on Thursday is going to come down to defense. That's well, the matchup for Thursday is defense versus defense. Oh, it is 100%. I mean, the, I mean let's talk about this for a second. The, the, our game with the New York Jets, a short week, it's going to come down to two things. Whose D is healthier? Who has the healthier defense? Well, this is the thing. It's going to come down to defense and health. We know that. Look at, look at this. The Bills, Shady's hurt. He's got a bum shoulder. He's not going to be 100%, but he is planning on playing. Now, that right there is a blow to the balance of our offense. That's tough. That's going to be tough for us. Kyle Williams isn't going to play until after the New England game. And Sammy, for as well as he played this weekend, isn't 100% still. And he's probably going to be shadowed by Darrell Rivas. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? And then at the end of the game, I saw Darby limping, you know, at the... It was tough because he came off and he kind of hobbled off the field. One of the players had to help him get to the sideline. 
And he came back out for a play or two right before the game ended. But that's something I want to keep an eye on because we're going to need Darby. I was in the car driving my parents to the airport when that Darby injury <laughs> happened. And Sal Capaccio had said he took a knee to knee. So it seemed like it was just a knee bruise. Just a stinger? Well, we can only hope. I mean, on the Jets' side of the ball, though, their injury list is much larger than ours, which is rare because most of the teams that we've played this season have been healthier than we are. They're going to likely be without two of their top safeties because neither Deion Bailey or Kelvin Pryor has practiced this week. And I've learned since this that they've, they've been ruled out. It's going to force Marcus Williams into starting, and he got exposed during that uh, Oakland game. Hello, I've never heard of you before. Those guys will join Antonio, you know, Antonio Cromartie and Jeremy Curley, who are both going to be, you know, out. They're not playing this week. And then you've got Willie Colon, who, as of this morning, was placed on the IR along with Nick Folk, their kicker. And they they just had to sign Randy Bullock, who was cut in Week Three by Houston. They're not 100% right now. And then, obviously, there's the well-publicized issues, to, you know, injuries to Geno and to Ryan Fitzpatrick that also bear watching throughout the course of this football game. Is Geno's jaw still bothering him? <laughs> Oddly enough, but he's been asked about that so many times this week, especially since Rex decided to name Impali a captain of the team. Again, I think it's just one of those mechanisms he builds in there to take to kind of take everyone's attention off of what he's doing and what his players are doing to prepare for the game and put it all onto one subject that doesn't matter. Did you get to listen to Rex's Monday press conference? I did. When he was asked about the the naming of captains? No, he said Because at Jacksonville, when we were over in London, he had apparently had sent out the whole offensive line because mm-hmm. Doug Marone, offensive line coach, <laughs> and he even said, he's like... Hell, I couldn't send the whole team out there. (laughs) At the end of the day, Rex Ryan will do what he thinks is going to not just get under the skin of the opponent, but something to take the pressure off, make his guys feel comfortable, make his guys, you know, maybe even get a laugh out of them, get them comfortable, relaxed, and ready to play football. He thinks this is the best way, and I have no choice but to trust him right now. We have no choice but to trust him on it. You know, it's going to be interesting because of all these, you know, all these injuries. It seems like whereas ours mostly affected the offensive side of the ball, most of the Jets' de- injuries came on the defense. You know, they're, they're playing D. Milner, you know, for Cromarty for the first time, and he hasn't been anything special when he's played. The last time D. Milner was special was at Alabama. <laughs> it's one of those things I like to not. I've, I've slowly tried to distance myself from him. After his drafting into the NFL. Or from Alabama. Oh, God. It sucks because there's guys like D. Milner, Donta Hightower, you know, Drake Kirkpatrick, who they're great players, and then the moment they go to a team you hate, you have no choice but to hate them for the rest of their careers. It's tough. I hate doing it. You said it earlier, and I'll agree with you wholeheartedly. This game is going to come down to whose D can do what. Whose D can control the other team's offense. Let's talk about this. The Jets' pass defense has been exposed over the last few weeks. And you look at the stats and they tell a story. Against the Raiders two weeks ago, most of the damage that the Raiders did was done on the intermediate right side of the defense. Derek Carr went 13-17 for 165 yards and two touchdowns. Now, I went back and I looked and I remember reading in every write-up about the game that Cromartie struggled. 
And then you watch the tape and you see that they were targeting him on short routes, hoping that his limited athleticism and speed, he doesn't have all, he doesn't have top end reaction speed and recovery. So because his, that safety, Marcus Williams couldn't back him up properly. They picked on him specifically to see if they could turn short passes into big gains. And it worked. It was working. Yeah, in the Jacksonville game, Cromarty goes down, and then ba- their, their safety Bailey goes out with an injury. And all of a sudden, Jacksonville starts taking shots deep because they realize one of their two outside wide receivers is going to get open, and the safeties aren't that good in pass coverage. So someone's going to make plays. They went n- Jacksonville Jag- The Jacksonville Jaguars on deep throws went 9 of 14 for 230 yards and two touchdowns. Now, Revis is great, okay? But without help over the top, even he can be beat. And the rest of their cornerbacks aren't nearly as talented as he is. It's led them to give up an average of 356 yards per game in the air over their last three games. There's going to, all of that just adds up to that there's going to be room for our offense to make plays if our line can keep Tyrod Taylor clean. The matchup of this game is going to be between our offensive line and their defensive line when it comes to that. If we can get the ball out quick, make Tyrod makes good decisions with it, and our line can hold up enough to get him to that point where Tyrod can maneuver back there, I think it's, it, it will be a huge boon to our chances to win the game. Yeah, and even on the other side of the ball, we've got our old friend, Chan Gailey, running the offense for the uh, Jets, and nobody knows his system like uh, Fitzpatrick, and He's not. He's waiting until Friday to get his his thumb checked. Yeah, he's he's gonna wait until Friday. He's gonna try to play. Now I'll tell you this: when Chan Gailey was our coach, one thing I noticed is that he could never get what he could never beat Rex Ryan. It was one of the most frustrating things to watch. He had such a hard time beating Rex Ryan's defenses. But there's a reason for that. New York moves the ball because Gailey has a quick passing offense. It limits the exposure of their offensive line and attacks the middle of the field. We saw it when he was our coach. You know, that was a lot of what went on. Our offensive line, at one point, they were talking about how many, how few sacks they had let up. But it's because they get the ball out so quick on design slants and screen passes and handoffs out of the shotgun that it protects their offensive line from being susceptible to pass rush. Now, what I will say the Bills' D has proven to be a lot less susceptible in the middle of the field. Over our last three games, the Bills' defense has allowed an average of four catches for 65 yards in the middle of the field. So if you want to take it as a point of comparison, the Jets have allowed an average of four, 4.3 catches for 90 yards in the middle of the field. I'll take it a little bit farther. You know that our safety and linebacker play has been fairly good in pass coverage in the middle of the field. That's probably why the Dolphins decided, let's not even try it. Let's stick to this screen game. Like I said earlier, all of their yardage came on the outside of the defense because they probably looked at the numbers and looked at the tape and said, okay, up the middle, they're strong against the pass. They've, even without Aaron Williams, we've still got two talented safeties, you know, three, if you want to count Bakari Rambo, Duke Williams, and uh, Corey Graham. Our linebackers are athletic enough to be decent in pass coverage, which means most teams have trouble moving the ball there. So the Dolphins decided to avoid that area of the field almost completely and focus on the outside edges of our defense, and we were good enough to hold it down. What I will say is that 
Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker are solid wide receivers, and their running backs aren't exactly slouches. But they don't have the speed on the outside at receiver to try and attack RD consistently with the screen game. With the way that their offensive line is banged up, I think this bodes well for Buffalo's ability to control the offense enough for our offense to outscore them. I think, I mean, obviously every football game comes down to who can outscore who. I think that our defense right now has fewer weaknesses than they do. You're wondering what kind of game plan that uh, Dennis Thurman will bring to the table. Is he going to be dropping Mario in coverage, or is he going to let his D-line attack the quarterback? I think you have to get after him. Right now you're talking about you know inexperienced guard play, Willie Colon out to IR, you're promoting a backup. You know Nick Mangold's not 100%. Right now you're going to try to bring A-gap pressure. You're going to get Marcel Darius in there. You're going to probably, if you're smart, you rotate – you take plays and you rotate Mario Williams inside to the D tackle position to try to take advantage of that mismatch between him and a guard. Guards are technically generally slower athletes, not as athletic as tackles, which is why they're on the inside to limit their exposure. If you can get a guy like, if you can put Williams and Darius in the inside of that line, and put a guy like Jerry Hughes up against some inexperienced right tackle, and maybe put Lawson on the left. You can generate a lot of pressure up the middle that way. I expect to see a lot of shotgun offense out of the Jets. And I think that that in and of itself bodes well for our chances in this game. I do. What do you think? What's your game prediction? My prediction for the game tomorrow night on NFL Network, I believe the Bills will win the game. I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be mostly focused on both teams defensively i'm going to say that the bills win 16 to 14 16 explain to me how you get to 16 with uh with a bunch of field goals <laughs> so you think dan carpenter is yep. going to carry the buffalo bills one off. touchdown brings you to 7 and then you get a field goal brings you to 10 then you get a field goal brings you to 13 and then you get a field goal, brings you to 16. Look at guys. Somebody here knows how to count. Yep. <laughs> Basic math skills, everybody. And who to think? Who, who would think that he grew up in the South? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I lived in Atlanta for a little bit. The worst city in America. Well, there's a lot on the line for this game. Because the outcome of this game directly impacts the AFC playoff picture as a whole. I want to take some time and let's get into that. You know, right now the Bills are in seventh, but they're right in the thick of things and they need this victory. You know, the need for it's twofold. We get to advance our record and we get to knock someone above us down a peg. If we can get our record to look like their record and we have the tiebreaker, we would leapfrog them. And that's huge. I mean, this playoff picture is constantly churning because of how close the middle of, you know, the middle of things are. Let's take a look at how everything's breaking down at the halfway, you know, right up to the halfway point of the season. First off, we have the AFC's top dogs. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. First and foremost, you get the New England Patriots. It doesn't look like anybody's going to stop these guys right now because they're playing cold, calculated football. It's what you expect from a Belichick team. Outside of Denver... The New England schedule looks pretty soft down the stretch. They could probably just run away with the entire conference at this point. You've got the Bengals, 
who have surprised everybody. I mean, they're, they're still undefeated somehow. Based on the state of their division, they're the clear front runners to run away with the North. I don't think anyone's going to catch them, especially not with their win in Pittsburgh and two weeks ago. Big Ben's injury and issues. And injury of Big Ben. That's, and that's, no Le'Veon Bell. That's a huge blow. They're probably, I, I still don't believe that they're a team that's good enough to finish the season undefeated, but I think that they're definitely making a push for a week one bye. And then you've got the Broncos. You know, that loss to the Colts, I, I would have bet you a paycheck that there was no way the Colts win that football game with as bad as they've been playing on defense. But they stepped up. They stepped up at home and kept Peyton Manning from winning in their house. It, they dropped him from the unbeaten ranks, and now their defense has some questions to answer. I mean, they're getting banged up. They've got uh, Aqib Tlaib out with suspension. They've got Demarcus Ware and Shane Ray out with injuries. You know, their depth is slowly deteriorating. You know, this game against Kansas City coming up this week could be a trap game for them. I mean, it'll be interesting to see that game. That's a game I want to see play, you know, see how it plays out. You know, thank God for the NFL Sunday ticket. And then, you know, after those guys, you get into this, you know, the middle of the pack where everyone's just right on each other's bumper, you know, right on each other's tail fighting for a playoff spot. Dogs, I want you to go home. Get off my bumper! It starts with the New York Jets. They're in fifth place, but that's only because some, you know, that's only because some crap team from the AFC South is going to have to win the division. I mean, it's, it's, they're atrocious down there. And now with Andrew Luck's injury, who knows how that's going to play out. The Jets' pass defense is on a significant downward trend, and hopefully Buffalo is going to exploit that and you know, gain some ground on them in the wild card race. You've got the Steelers, you know, another week, another injury to Big Ben. It doesn't seem to be as serious as the last one because it's not a knee injury, but at the same time, these nagging lower body injuries tend to be, you know, for most players, unless you have a full season of rest, off season of rest, these nagging injuries don't seem to go away. You know, once it starts with a knee, then it turns into an ankle or a hip or a groin injury. I think they're definitely a team to keep an eye on because they already lost Le'Veon Bell. Now they've, you know, they've lost, they've lost Big Ben for at least one game. Maybe multiple games. Well, plus for the rest of the season, for the Steelers, you wonder, you know, I don't know uh, which, you know, which knee it was or and which ankle it was, but you wonder if that's going to make a difference when he comes back for him stepping up in the pocket, planting his foot and throwing the ball, you know, in a tight window with some speed and accuracy. Well, yeah, and it's 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 hard. It's hard to play the quarterback position when you're not healthy. I mean. Tyrod, you know, Tyrod had a hell of a time doing it at the end of that at the end of that Titans game. And if you look at the upcoming schedule for the Steelers, I understand that you know they went two and two without Ben Roethlisberger at the helm of that team, but they've got games in Seattle, then at home against the Colts, then at the Bengals, and then home against the Broncos. Those four games right there, nothing is being given to them in those games. They have to go out there and play well, or else they will lose. So it's going to be interesting to see how that injury impacts their stretch to try to make the postseason. You know, because they're at 5-4, and four, but with the injuries, I don't know. They could, they could be caught. You know? Then you've got the Bills. We're in seventh on the outside looking in. You know, it'll take a string of wins to get us back to that wildcard spot. But given our schedule, it's possible. Some of the teams that we're going to be playing, 
anyway, they're, they're behind us, but they're coming. So we have room to push some other teams down as we try to make our way up. I mean, we get the New York Giants twice. I mean, the New York Jets. If we can get victories both. Chiefs, Texans, Chiefs, Eagles, Texans, Redskins. See, those non-conference games, I'm not really that concerned about them. No. I'm concerned about winning in our conference because if we can win those games, they're against people who are going to be playing again, probably factoring into that wild card discussion. Yeah, the Chiefs and the Texans are the most important games that we have to win. Well, I think it all nah, the most important games are these two against the the Jets because we've already got two we're two and one in the division. This is our opportunity to go three and one. If we can go four and two in the division this year. That sets us up pretty well for a playoff spot, considering the number of AFC wins that'll give us. Did you listen to WGR at all this week going into work? I go into work so early that there's never anything of interest being talked about. They opened, I think it was Monday, they opened the show. Jeremy White had talked about a record right now and a record right now last season. And uh, the difference around the AFC from last year to this year. I believe there was 11 teams last year at this point with five wins. And now there's like there's like four. So it's almost like we're in a – even though our record, we're one game worse than we were last year at this time, it puts us in a better spot for as far as a wild card contention. Well, speaking of wild card contention, you got the Raiders. I'll tell you this. Derek Carr's the real deal. I mean, he's been solid at quarterback. You mean David? David Carr? Derek Carr? Derek, David Carr. David Carr was the guy who unceremoniously set an NFL record for sacks taken in a single season. He basically was sacked out of the NFL. <laughs> he, could, he had the ability to become a decent quarterback if he wasn't constantly being punched in the kidneys by defensive tackles. Yeah, Derek Carr is killing it for the Raiders, and he's also killing my fantasy team because I like to start Matt Ryan over Derek Carr the last two weeks. That's my own damn problem. What? <laughs> what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. Yeah, the kid's really slinging it around, and Amari Cooper is definitely helping that offense. They can put up numbers, but they've got a tough schedule themselves. I mean, they're going to play teams that have, I believe it's t- their schedule, and now i got to look at it because I wrote a note last week for a show that didn't air. But if you talk about the the upcoming, they got the Vikings this week. Oh yeah, they get so okay. They come into this against teams with ten wins is what they were going into with last week. But considering that one of those teams is the Lions, they have to play the Lions, and then they have the Vikings, who their defense has been stout enough to hold them into games. Well, the Vikings are this week, and then the Lions are on the twenty second. Mm-hmm. Followed by the Titans, Chiefs, and Broncos. Yeah, so I mean, they, the Titans. I don't know who. I don't know who the Titans can beat. I mean, they, they're a team that did nothing. They floundered. A new coach comes in. They. That's a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a terrible pun. It. Oh God, I gotta open this beer. That pun physically hurt me. It physically hurt. So. I don't know who they're going to beat. I mean, they came back and won. They came back and won in New Orleans. 
So who knows what this team is actually capable of? That game is going to be a fun one to see. That's one of you. That's one you might want to record. Chiefs, Broncos, Packers, Chargers, Chiefs down the stretch. I don't know. They, there's some opportunities for losses there, so it's on them to take care of business. And because of our AFC exploits, we hold the we hold our own destiny for now when it comes to you know, our status against the Raiders. But from there on out, like you were alluding to earlier, there was a lot of teams with five wins, and this year there's not. That's because most of them are currently living in the basement. You suck, you jackass. Oh, and suck they do. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 2-6, and six, but they're the only member of this group that actually has a postseason shot because of how bad their division is. Their offense scores a ton of points. Uh, Blake Bortles looks like he's figuring out the quarterback position. The offensive line looks like they're getting moderate production. Not really in the running game, but enough to buy time for Bortles to throw out of the shotgun. But because he's been slinging it around so well, they've been in every game. They just can't find any consistency on defense. That's their problem. If they could find a defensive identity, whether it's stop the pass, stop the run, do something well, they'd probably start winning football games. And then you've got the Ravens, Chargers, and Titans, who are all just bottom dwellers in their own divisions, and they all share a common theme. Lack of defense, injuries to the offensive line, questions at their skill positions, and a 2-7 and seven record. Or two and six. The Titans manage that come from behind win that I was talking about earlier, but other than that, I mean, you throw in the Browns with that group, they're all just going to be fighting it out to see who gets a top 10 pick next year. I don't, I don't expect anything more out of that group. I mean, one more loss for any of them pretty much puts them out of playoff contention already. And we're, not, we're just over the halfway point. I feel like the top of the league has played really well. The bottom of the league has played very poorly. And there's a couple teams that just fall into this middle group that's just going to fist fight each other for the rest of the year until it all shakes out at the end. And who would have thought that San Diego and Baltimore would be in the bottom of the AFC this year? Well, think about it. Neither one of their offensive lines have It's a been... quarterback-driven league. It's Rivers a... and Flacco, they're great quarterbacks. Okay, but like I said... Injuries in the offensive line is huge because it, it. you were talking about it, Melvin Gordon. Maybe Melvin Gordon might have gotten going if they had developed any kind of chemistry on their offensive line, but they can't because people just keep coming in and out of the lineup with injuries and different things that pop up. Their skill positions. The Chargers have been decimated by injuries to the wide receivers. It's it's terrible what's happening because Phillip Rivers has no one to throw to. Gates is playing hurt. Ladarius Green is playing here and there. Keenan Allen's gone for the year, so they've got no one to really stretch the field. Stevie Johnson is his number one target. And I believe Malcolm Floyd is now out for the year with a torn labrum. Yeah, I mean, he can't he, he can't buy a wide receiver with Trump's money over there. Same thing with the Ravens. Think about it. He loses, I mean, Dennis Pitta, his career might be over. They announced this morning that his doctors are advising him not to play and the team's not going to activate him. So... He's going to IR again, and that might be the end of his career in the NFL. They lost Steve Smith to a torn Achilles. That might be the rest of his career. He'd already talked about retiring at the end of the season. That might be it. He hangs it up. They have nothing beyond him as far as a receiving threat. So teams aren't scared, and they just pack the box against these teams. They aren't scared of the receiving threats. They blitz. They take liberties against these quarterbacks, and that's what being bad on the offensive line gets you. 
And then in some NFL news, I saw something today that really kind of irked me, and I want to talk about it. I don't know. It's 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 kind of a it's a controversial subject right now. I'm sure you've all seen the Greg Hardy story. You all know about it. You're familiar with it. Recently, there's been a number of leaks to Deadspin.com. Photos of the victim. Most recently, there was a leaking of the actual courtroom transcripts. And it's raised a lot of questions. I mean, it's, it's, it's been particularly damaging to the image of Hardy. I mean, it's when you see how badly he beat that woman. And when you to hear him, hear his attorney show up in court and talk about how he, you know, trying to paint him as the victim in all of this, it's, I'm sorry, as a man, it's disgusting. Okay, I, I beat up guys who beat up women. That's been something I was, I, w- I was raised that way. You also like to beat up people that flash their dong at your lady while she's trying to walk the dog. That... Hey, listen. If the whole if her whole neighborhood gets beat up over it, I don't want to. I don't want it listed anywhere that I may or may not have been a part of it. So I'm going to say that I don't condone that. I told you. I thought it was that house that's got the three vans that look like the uh, vans from Back to the Future that the Libyans drove. Okay, first off, it couldn't have been them because that guy's 85 years old. But second off, there is a van in my girlfriend's neighborhood. If we can just take a sidebar for a moment. The man owns three vintage 70s issue VW vans and keeps them all parked in his driveway at the same time. A red one, a blue one, and an orange one. His son was over helping him mow his lawn last week. And I had to stop and take a picture of it because his son also drives a 1978 VW van. This one's lime green. I don't know where they got all these from, but... I I just applaud their dedication to the VW brand and what was once one of the coolest vehicles to ever, you know, ever be on the road. But back to my original point. So we're all familiar with this, you know, the storyline that Greg Hardy is a scumbag. But now they're talking about, okay, let's let's take a step back here. How did the how did these, you know, this, these anonymous sources who keep leaking this Greg Hardy stuff to Deadspin, who is more than happy to throw it out there for you know, public consumption, how did they get their hands on the actual court transcripts? Those are sensitive documents. Okay? Those are things that the only people who had access to them were the court, the lawyers involved in the case, Greg Hardy himself, and the NFL office that was conducting the investigation into Greg Hardy. Stop and think about that for a second. And now think back to when the NFL was carrying on a, carrying on a smear campaign against Tom Brady during the offseason, doing everything they could to implicate him in something that was as absurd as it was. I mean, deflating footballs. Who cares? They took a smear campaign against this guy after they, I think they realized that they couldn't win the case. They tried to kill him in the court of public opinion. That's where because they knew they weren't going to win in any other court anywhere. Once again, we see where an NFL player is proven innocent in a court of law, and suddenly he's being murdered in the court of public opinion because of an anonymous source leaking things. It's now being levied that the NFL may have had something to do with it. And it makes sense because of the only party that had anything to gain from any of this. 
mean, think about it. He skates. He doesn't, his suspension gets reduced. He doesn't, you know, he's exonerated legally. They expunged his record. So somebody with some, with an ax to grind with Greg Hardy decided that it was a good idea to take all the sensitive information and release it to the public. I feel like the NFL's cross, if, if they have any involvement, it hasn't been proved yet, but I just got one of those, when you, when you have a just bad feeling in your stomach, I have a feeling that if the NFL was involved with this and they did do it, they should be ashamed of themselves. It's childish. Okay, I understand. The guy's a dirtbag. Okay, we've talked about it. We've talked about what he did. He was exonerated. Let's move on with the game. If you have a vendetta against the guy, you deal with that behind closed doors. Okay, have, have everyone pass out a memo that says it's okay to chop block the guy. I'd be okay with that. Someone breaks his leg in the middle of a game. Fantastic. I will applaud. I will applaud as he's being carried off the field. But the stuff that the NFL may or, you know, the stuff that they're now being sort of even, even the insinuation that they could be involved with something like that. This is a sports league. You don't hear about this stuff from the, from Major League Baseball. You don't hear about it from the NHL. I feel like the NFL under Roger Goodell has turned into a circus and they need to get this under control or else, I mean, they're damaging the brand. Like I talked about a, a week or two ago, they're doing things to the game that are damaging the brand. Yet these are the people who claim that they're trying to protect the brand. That's why they suspend players. And that's why they levy fines and things of that nature. They, everything they do, they say they're trying to do to protect the shield. And yet more and more, I'm feeling like the people behind it are the worst violators of that. Well, what do you all think? I've been, I've been asking for weeks. If anybody has anything they want to say, if you want to get in the ring with me on something, if you have a conversation you want to have, let's figure it out. Let's Skype about it on the show. Let's talk about it via email. Let's open up a little Q&A. You can get a hold of us at, on Twitter at Rockpile Report. You can hit us up on Gmail at you know, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. And you can also find our podcast on our website at rockpilereport.podbean.com. And you can find us on iTunes. And now we're on iTunes. Getting with the 21st century, baby. iTunes. And for those of you that don't have the ticket like I do, 506sports.com, great uh, website to go to to look at the uh, local TV map. We get Miami at Philadelphia on CBS this week. one? Yes. Hmm. Or the late game we get on CBS, New England and New York Giants. And then we get one game on Fox. That's a 1 o'clock game. New Orleans at Washington. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if I give a damn about any of those games. I would think I would watch New Orleans at Washington. Well, you would watch that because you don't have the NFL Sunday ticket. No, I don't. And I don't want to watch Miami or Philadelphia. Peasant. Yes. (laughs) But I do pay for the NHL Game Center because I love the NHL. Listen, you take your hockey. You take your hockey. Over there. Just go sit in the corner with it. That's all the time we got for this week, guys. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Power Report.